Well, as I mentioned earlier, today is, in the Christian calendar, Trinity Sunday. So we'll take a little bit of time and talk about God's nature. Uh, we use the word Trinity, a word that is not found in the Bible. You can read through the whole Bible, you'll never find it there. But it is a Christian doctrine that church leaders, starting at the very early times, came up with to help describe the nature of God. <clears throat> now, the word Trinity comes from a Latin word, Trinitas, which means threefold. In our language today, we use the prefix T-R-I, tri, to describe something that is three. Now, if you look up here, both of these cameras are sitting on what we call a tripod. <laughs> Why is it called a tripod? Because it has three legs. Tri, three. If you're watching a baseball game and the batter hits a three-bagger and he makes it all the way to third base, what's it called? A triple, T-R-I, triple, three. So that's where the word Trinity comes from. Because God in the Bible reveals himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three co-eternal persons, because they've always existed. You know, some religions and some philosophies think that God the Father at some point in time created Jesus Christ his Son. No. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have always existed. They're eternal, co-eternal. And the doctrine of of the Trinity also says that the three persons in the Godhead are consubstantial. They're all the same as far as being spirit. Uh, we think of substance. God isn't made of a substance, but they're all alike. They're not different in any way. So three persons in one Godhead. Our understanding of this triune nature of God is reinforced when we understand how we have been granted a special blessing from each person of the Trinity. So that's what I want to talk about today. One God and three persons. And let's take a look just real briefly at how each of those three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have blessed us or have given us a particular gift that we now possess as Christians and as God's people. Turn with me to Matthew 5 and verse 48. Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount was teaching, just as Moses did coming down from Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, coming down with God's law. Here, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is explaining in New Covenant terms what God's law is all about. And Jesus sets a very high bar for us to reach in our Christian lives. Notice what he says here, Matthew 5 verse 48, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he kind of sums up his teaching in the law by saying, be perfect. Wow. That's hard, isn't it? Now, I'll raise my hand first when I ask how many of us have reached the state of perfection on our own efforts. I have not. And I kind of assume that you haven't either. I've fallen far short of perfection as you have too. So how can we possibly achieve what Jesus demands of us? Perfection. Well, there's only one way. You know what it is. I think some of you do. 
Now, in another place, Jesus summarizes the law of God with two commands. In Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. That's another way to sum up God's law. Now, again, looking at myself, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we have really never achieved this level of spirituality. On our own efforts, we can't possibly be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We have a problem, and it's called sin. That's what gets in the way of us coming anywhere near perfection. It affects what we do. Sin affects what we say and what we think. It taints everything about us. No matter how good we try to be, we will never meet God's standard of perfection. In fact, one of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, I won't turn there, but he said in Isaiah 64, verse 6, all our righteousness deeds, all of our righteous deeds are as filthy garments. Our own righteousness is simply not sufficient and never will be. So God has set a standard for us that because of sin, we can't reach on our own. Now that's why Jesus, the Son of God, so we're talking first about the Son, what is the gift that He has given us? Well, Jesus came down to earth, not just to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, I mean, that was vital for each and every one of us, but something else He did. Jesus lived a perfect life in full obedience to the law of God in thought, in word, and in deed. Okay? He not only died to pay the penalty for our sins, he lived a sinless life that was meant to be, listen to this, his sinless life was meant to be credited to us, to our account. And that's what has happened when we became believers, when we accepted Jesus as our Savior. Having something credited to your account is really good. <laughs> you know, every month we get our bank statement and we go through the, the checking account and, you know, you see all the little minus signs because you bought this for $50 and you bought that for $75, negative, you know, minus sign, minus sign. Your account's getting smaller and smaller and all of a sudden you come to something where there's a plus sign. And it's somehow your account was credited. Maybe it was your payroll that went in there, or maybe it was a refund that you got from the store. And that's always great to see. Instead of minus this and minus that, it's plus something. Well, that's what God has done to our account spiritually. What he did was he took the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the life that we by ourselves could never achieve, but that's what God demands, perfection, be perfect as your father is perfect. And what he has done is he has credited that perfect life to your account. That's why Jesus lived a perfect life. That's why the Bible specifies that he was without sin, because that's what it took to be credited to us. He not only died to pay the penalty for our sins, he lived a sinless life that was meant to be credited to our account. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. So all of a sudden, something that we could not reach, we could not attain on our own, is given to us and credited to us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So all of a sudden, that high bar that we could never reach on our own, we are able to reach by the grace of God. So by our faith in Jesus, we are now seen as sinless, as Jesus is sinless. It's not our own obedience, but it's the obedience of Jesus Christ himself that is given to us, credited to our account, and praise God for that. So that's the gift from Jesus. He gives us his righteousness. And I don't want to downplay at all his death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But now he makes us good enough to be acceptable to God the Father. You know, there's a parable in the Bible. I won't turn there. It's in Matthew 22, but I won't turn there. It's a parable of a wedding banquet. And guests are invited to the celebration from every street corner, and they're brought in, as the Bible says, the bad as well as the good. And this celebration represents the wedding feast uh, at the time of the end when Jesus is going to gather all the believers and there's going to be a tremendous celebration in heaven. Well, all the guests have something in common. They're all given a wedding garment to wear by the king. They're not to wear their filthy street rags to the wedding. They're given a beautiful wedding garment to wear as part of the celebration. And of course, this symbolizes how we have been given the pure white robes of Christ's righteousness, which we wear by faith in him. So, you know, if we had a spiritual view of this room right now, we're all dressed in beautiful white garments, representing the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to us as a gift by our faith in him. So that's the first gift that Jesus, the Son of God, gave us. Let's look at another one. Because the second gift flows right from the first. Turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John 1, and we'll begin in verse 12. This is a scripture we usually read around Christmas time when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But notice here what the Apostle John wrote about the birth of Jesus and what it would eventually mean for the human race. It says, yet to all who received him, this newborn baby who was the son of God, who would grow up to be the Messiah, the redeemer, the savior of the world, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So here's our gift from God the Father. We, through our faith in Jesus Christ, become God's very children. Children of God. 
And that only comes through Jesus Christ, because this is what was said when he was born. You know, he was going to go on to live his perfect life and then eventually to die on the cross and then to ascend back up to heaven. But all who believe in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. Not everybody can be a child of God. There's a right involved here. By our faith in Jesus, he gave the right to us to become children of God. And that is our status right now, children of God. And that's a very special status. Not everybody has it. And of course, <laughs> we don't pat ourselves on the back and think, well, what a great person we've been to become children of God. No, it was a gift through our faith in Jesus Christ who made it possible for us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Now, it feels good to be a child of God, but it means more than that. As Paul explains in Romans 8, verse 17, because there's a great blessing that comes along with being a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. Paul explains it by saying, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So you see, in a family situation, the parents, of course, if they do proper planning and they're considerate of their kids, they hope that when their time comes and they pass, to leave something for their kids. And it's always a wonderful blessing. You know, when my parents passed, uh, they bestowed on us an amount that we were able to use to put a down payment down on our house. It was our first house that we bought, my wife and I. So we were so appreciative of that and that my parents made plans and made provision for that to happen. It was a great blessing for us. But you see, there's also an inheritance that comes from God. Certainly when Jesus died on the cross, was buried, then rose from the dead, and as we talked a few weeks ago, he eventually ascended back up to heaven. He went back to heaven to be exalted, to receive every blessing that was coming his way that the Father had prepared for him. And now he rules over everything. But as being children of God, we are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. There is an inheritance for us, if you will. When our time comes, we will gather that inheritance. The scripture says that we're going to be there with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. And what Jesus now owns, he will share with us, because not only is he a son of God, but he's different from us, he's God and he's eternal. We are children of God, born from above, born again, and there is an inheritance for us as well. An heir is one who receives an allotted portion by right of sonship or daughtership however you want to call it. Because God has made us his children, we have full rights to receive his inheritance along with Jesus Christ. Jesus has been appointed heir of all things. What belongs to Jesus will belong to us. His glory, his riches, all things. That's something we need to take into consideration. This is a gift that God the Father has given us. We have entered into a personal relationship with him as his beloved sons and daughters through Jesus. 
Jesus made it all possible for us. And in 1 John, right toward the back of your Bible, the general epistle of John, just before the book of Revelation, 1 John 3, 2. If you have any doubts about your relationship with God now, if you think, well, I don't know if I've got the wherewithal to be a son of God or a daughter of God, I still sin, I still stumble, stumble occasionally, I don't know if God loves me all that much, well, this is a verse that encourages us. 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So everyone who has this hope, which we do, in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. So now we want to be good Christian people. We want to obey God, not somehow to earn our salvation, but because God has saved us. He has forgiven our sins, and we want to now show our appreciation by living the best kind of life that we can live. In fact, back here, I forgot to pursue this scripture in Romans 8, verse 17. He says here, now if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we have been given this status as sons and daughters of God, beloved sons and daughters of God, but keep in mind, we still have this life to deal with. And there are going to be sufferings, you know, as the, the Gailies are suffering heavily now with the loss of, of Bill, as we all have suffered losses and have health issues and health problems and pain and disappointments in our life, whenever that happens to us, we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Jesus, before he was finally exalted and received the you know, rulership over everything that he's been given now, he had to suffer too, didn't he? He went through 30-some years of great difficulty on this earth. He slogged through this fallen society just like we do on a daily basis. But he ended up going to the cross, even though he didn't deserve it. So a little reminder there, yeah, God has given us this gift, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So far we've seen now being beloved sons and daughters of the Father. But don't forget, there's still this life to go through. Do your best with God's help. But there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering, and when it happens, don't forget, we're just sharing in what Jesus went through. The third gift I want to talk about today is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about the Son, the Father, and now the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit himself. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So the Bible tells us that when we hear the gospel, we respond to it, we recognize that we're sinners, we need a savior, we're sorry for our sins, 
and we want to follow Jesus Christ and let him be our savior, at that point in time, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell literally in us. That's the third gift that we're talking about, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of the believer. Now, not every day of your life are you going to feel that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, but he is. That's based on the truth of God's word. Even though we still sin occasionally from time to time, the Holy Spirit still dwells in us. You see, our sinfulness does not lower the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We don't have that power over the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holy and righteous. But yet the Holy Spirit gives us new life as a believer. It's the life of God that he brings into us. Now, we're called a temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple, if you remember history and Jerusalem, and even before that, uh, there was a tabernacle where God dwelt amongst his people. But a temple in Jerusalem uh, was a large room, maybe about the size of this, I don't know. But there was a small room attached to it, and that small room was called the Holy of Holies. This big room is where all of the priests did their work from day to day. But in that small room at the back of the building was where God dwelt. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where God's dwelling place was. And nobody could go through this heavy curtain to get into that room except one person, the high priest, one day of the year on the Day of Atonement. And he actually came into the presence of God. Now, that temple doesn't exist anymore. If you look at pictures of Jerusalem, uh, where the temple used to be is just a flat piece of concrete because the temple was destroyed by the Roman army in the year 70 AD. So the temple doesn't exist anymore. The priesthood isn't functioning, offering sacrifices. We are the temple of God. Amen. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, through faith in him, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are now the temple of God. And the, te the temple that we are is the permanent dwelling place of God. Permanent. You know, you might feel, and I know I felt this way over the years, that sometimes you wake up in a bad attitude and you're doing stupid things, doing wrong things, and you think, well, God probably took a little break from me today. He's out there someplace because he can't be around me. No. The Holy Spirit dwells in you permanently. He will neither you know, forsake you, he'll never leave you, he is with you permanently, the good days and the bad. So the believer himself is compared to the temple where the inner sanctum or the holy of holies was, where God's presence would be. The believer in Christ has become the new Holy of Holies, the permanent dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Scripture also says that the believer is indwelled spiritually by Jesus Christ and God the Father. I won't turn there, but you can look at Colossians 1.27, says that Jesus dwells in us, and 1 John 4.15 says God the Father dwells in us, because it's one God in three persons. And that is just overwhelming sometimes to think that as a believer, not only the Holy Spirit, 
but Jesus Christ, the Son, and God the Father have, felt, have found a permanent dwelling place in each of us. It's just awesome. So our three gifts from the three persons of the Godhead that we discuss today are the righteousness of the Son, Jesus Christ, right, perfect righteousness, obedience, without fail, has been credited to our account. That's why we stand before God the Father as sinless. We have already been judged and we have already been declared not guilty. But Pastor John, we still sin from time to time, yes, <laughs> but we live within a covering of forgiveness. Our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven by God. The second gift, the status of being beloved children of the Father. Through Jesus Christ, he was the one who gave us the right to become children of God. And that is a relationship that we will have forever. And because of that status, we are also eligible for an inheritance. What Jesus Christ has inherited, he will share with us. And thirdly, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit bringing us new life, causing us to be born again, born from above, to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the lead of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, not only is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but through him, also the Son and the Father dwell in us. It's just an awesome thing to consider, what God has done. And uh, this is a very special planet to God. I don't know what exists elsewhere in the universe. Some people think that there's other kinds of life out there. There may be, I don't know. We certainly know that there's spirit life because God created a whole bunch of angels, uh, angels that were created to serve us as future inheritors of God. But uh, he made us out of nothing. When you go back to Genesis and see how he created Adam and Eve, it was from the dust of the earth, dirt. <laughs> We're made of dirt. You know, they can do tests on how much uh, iron we have in us, how much copper we have in us. We're made of the dirt. But yet God created us, this human race, for a tremendous purpose. And he also sent his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill everything that needed to be fulfilled so that in the future, we are going to be like Jesus Christ is. We're going to be glorified like he is. Of course, we're not going to become God. God is God. We're not. But we're children of God. And he thought this all out before even the creation of the world, how he would do this thing to glorify him. Because what he has done through us and continues to do through us, and especially when it's all said and done and we have received our heavenly reward, all glory, honor, and praise is going to go to him. Because he is such an awesome God that he can make something out of dirt. And that's what he's done with us. So we'll praise him for all eternity. He is such a wonderful God and we love him so.